What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. And today, I have the wonderful, the amazing Olga Kazan. So Olga is actually a journalist, and she writes for The Atlantic, but she recently published a book called Weird. And I was like, what's this? And I looked at it, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to get this book. So... I know a lot of us, a lot of us struggle with feeling weird, whether it's growing up or whether it's just being in social situations as an adult. And Olga can definitely relate. She is a Russian immigrant who moved to Texas as a young woman. And yeah, she writes about some of her experience in this book, but also all the research behind being weird and how, you know, uh, rejection sucks uh the therapeutic aspect that she found uh from journalism uh we have a conversation in here about how depending on where you're from and the culture that's kind of surrounding you what's weird or what's considered weird because what's weird in some places is completely normal in other places and all that kind of stuff and yeah olga's awesome i had so much fun talking with her she's one of the few one of the only maybe uh people i've talked to and as i'm talking with her and bringing up uh different studies she's like looking it up and like uh talking with me about them and making sure it's accurate it was it was really fun but yeah she's great we had a great conversation but yeah we touched on some random topics in here too like like hipsters and people who walk around las vegas without pants on but anyways anyways if you've ever felt weird in your life if you ever felt different this is a book for you and i'm so glad that olga and i were able to link up and she was able to come on so make sure you check down in the description below she's always on twitter and she's tweeting out her work and talking with people so make sure you're following her that's linked down below but more importantly her books linked down below too so make sure you grab a copy of weird all right but yeah while you're down in the description make sure you're following me as well over on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul i'm always uh updating you on you know new episodes uh for those of you who didn't know i do a weekly non-fiction reading list all right like this last week i finished nine freaking books so if you're interested in all that stuff make sure you're following me because I, I tweet out the new reading list and all that kind of stuff all right but anyways anyways i really hope you all enjoy this episode as much as i did when i was talking with olga so without further ado here's my conversation with olga kazan about her book weird Hello, Olga. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your book. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I, I had actually, I hadn't heard of anything uh, of, of your work and then I just see this book weird and I'm like, I've been kind of weird my whole life. So, so I'll check this out. So can, for those who haven't had the, the pleasure of checking out your book yet, can you kind of discuss like what inspired you to write this book? Cause you write all the time. What made you say this deserves a book? Yeah. Um, so I think I kind of like, I started working on this in 2015. Um, and oh, wow. I had sort of been thinking a lot about um, my own identity and where some of my neuroses come from. Um, <laughs> and um, 
uh, I mean, honestly, like a lot of them come from the fact that I was the only Russian Jew in my um, town that I grew up in, in West Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in general, I was sort of always like the kind of outcast sort of kid, um, kind of until college, basically. Um, and uh, but I it didn't really feel like that unique of an experience, honestly, to write a whole like <laughs> memoir. Um, but I, I've always been interested in this question of identity and like mm. um, people who kind of fight against the odds um, and people who um, decide to do something kind of unexpected. So I, I ended up interviewing uh, several dozen other people who are kind of different from everyone else around them. Mm -hmm. um, so they might be like the only person of their gender in their field or um, the only person of their religion living mm. in their town. Um, so people like that who, or like political um, affiliation, that was one too, where like they, they there's just no one else, um, no one else like them uh, yeah. around and sort of how do they deal with that kind of I guess like now we call it othering, but I yeah. didn't, it was that, that term othering wasn't even <laughs> really around as much when I first started working on this. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was great. That was one of the things I loved about your book. I love when you're able, like you, you intertwine like your personal story, you know, and then, you know, the interviews, but also like a lot of psych psychology and research. And I'm a big like psychology nerd. So like, mwah, fantastic. Like <laughs> it was, it was really great. And, and yeah, like, so when, when you were growing up, uh, as an immigrant in in Texas and being the you know just feeling kind of a, uh, not a part of what was what was something that was like keeping you together was it like just like were you really like tight with like your family or like did you just kind of isolate and be alone or like how how did you navigate those waters? You talk about it a little bit of the book, but for anybody. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I wouldn't say that I was like very tight with my family. Um, I, I was like really a loner. Like I spent a, a ton of time alone. Um, I would say like one thing that really helped is journalism actually. So I mm -hmm. um, I started doing journalism really early on. I, I took my first journalism class um, when I was 11. Um, and then mm. I got really into it. I did like high school newspaper. I was editor of my high school newspaper. I went to journalism camp. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> um, for the true nerds. I did like journalism competitions on the weekends. What is, like, wait, hold on. What is a journalism <laughs> competition? What is that? Yeah, a journalism competition. Um, so you uh, go with these other kids who are like hopeless nerds. Toward the end, it was just me. Like the other kids were like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and then you'd like drive or are driven in my case around to different towns in Texas to compete against other kids in writing uh, news articles. Um, wow. And so you're given like a list of facts and like quotes. So sort of like what you would uh. get from reporting. And then they're like, okay, write this into a news article uh, or write this into an editorial or whatever. Um, and so and then you would have like 45 minutes to write an article and then like whosoever article was judged best like won the that's that's awesome i've never heard of that and, and now look at you you're like writing you know books and at the atlantic and all sorts of stuff it paid off <laughs> it's all from the journalism company no i don't know maybe it played a role um but yeah but like so there's like some uh interesting research that like a lot of times um people uh who are kind of uh different in whatever ways are drawn to being kind of on on the outside and kind of, so journalism like it's very observatory like you're basically never participating um like you're kind of mm -hmm. always like watching what's happening so like someone's doing something and you're like writing down what they're doing is sort of like the most classic form of it and um 
I found that to be like very therapeutic and like mm. sometimes um and I've heard this from other people like other journalists in particular like they're kind of drawn to journalism because they like kind of feel like they can't participate or they can't be a part of regular society so mm -hmm. like the easiest thing for them to do is to like step back and to describe what they see and that's like actually more calming or like more like a mode that they can work in and it's um it's shown to have like some psychological benefits too like this kind of yeah kind of like looking at your own life from like an outside perspective is um can be therapeutic yeah i and i, I remember you discussing that in in the book too and it's it's interesting like it wasn't until i think last year where i read uh susan kane's book quiet on like introverts and stuff and i was like oh and like i was like oh okay this is making sense like i can have conversations like this but in social situations i'm awkward and nervous and all this other kind of stuff and i remember you talking about like kind of observing and writing and you know that and uh, i'm like yeah like that's my thing i've always kind of like watched people and all this and like so i'm curious like doing your research writing this book or even growing up or even you personally right like do you do you see this like being more of a tendency of like feeling weird like for like introverted people rather than extroverted people like i see you on twitter and stuff and like very active but our online personalities can be much different than in person yeah i mean i would say like my twitter is like very curated still i mean like I, I occasionally like get vulnerable, but like I, it's still like very, very like a very small slice of like the number of things I think in a day. Yeah. Um, so um, I think that's true of like most online personas. Um, I would say most of the people that I talk to are, um, I want to say yeah, they're maybe introverted. There's like a couple people. Like I talked to one person who was a mayor. Um, and um, she seemed pretty extroverted. Um, but most of the people had like introvert tendencies were kind of like writerly or like kind of like, I don't know about this kind of people like who, who yeah, were sort of, sort of had that kind of same personality. But I didn't go looking for introverts necessarily. That mm. wasn't like one of my criteria. Yeah, it was just kind of something you catch along the way. And something something i i think about whenever i think uh you know just anything about this conversation about weird right because as i started to get older i started looking around and i'm just like what what is weird because in order to be weird you know it's relative like what's normal like and i i don't remember but i don't think there's something you like kind of dived into like in it in the book but like what do you what would you say is is normal like this is a conversation i recently had with my son like what's after after writing an entire book on what's it like to be weird like what's normal yeah um so it kind of depends on your situation i'm sorry i know that's probably not what you wanted to hear um, <laughs> like the problem with like interviewing any kind of person with any involvement in the sciences is like we need more data yeah. um uh, so it yeah it depends on the situation so there's um there's this um kind of concept that i write about called tightness and looseness um, mm -hmm. So tightness basically means that like everyone is kind of the same. So if you think about like the military, right, you all dress the mm -hmm. same, you have the same haircut, like you all like do the same things at the same time. It's a very tight culture. Mm -hmm. So um, so what what that means is that it's very difficult to be different in that environment. So um, what you saw with like, so for example, don't ask, don't tell and gay people in the military. Mm -hmm. Um, and trans people in the military is that um, trying to be different, which I would say, like, um, even though there's a ton of gay people, obviously, in society, like, it mm -hmm. was still pretty unusual to be gay in the military. Um, that was, like, something that was seen as, like, 
really strange or like, oh, I don't know about this or like we need to have a congressional hearing and like, is this going to be okay? Like, because it's a very tight culture, everyone's doing the same thing mm -hmm. to do something different was seen as like not very accepted. Um, and this isn't I mean, the military is an extreme example, but yeah. you have examples of that um, in, you know, different types of offices. So like law firms, I've heard from a lot of people tend to be very tight. Um, and so people kind of all wear suits and they all like send mm -hmm. emails that are phrased yeah. a certain way and like there's a certain expectation of everyone to behave in a in a specific manner mm. um so you kind of usually know when you're in an environment like that like yeah. you tend to like start filtering yourself a lot more and start only presenting yeah. a certain side of yourself you know um you know and on the opposite spectrum we have um burning man <laughs> or yeah, like right? you know or like i live, I live in las vegas so yeah we got crazy yeah stuff okay so vegas is a perfect example it's very loose right um very few rules for like exactly what you should be doing at any time uh -huh. like in general like there's a greater number of things that are allowed um and people you know it's not that hard to be different or i mean it mm -hmm. could still be hard but it's it's not as like oh my god i'm a shock to the system here because it's vegas and like you know yeah. there's going to be someone walking around with like no pants on and like tail feathers or whatever like yep. you know yep. this is true <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like it's like there's always going to be someone weirder than you so um yeah, yeah so that's kind of like kind of how it breaks down yeah yeah so yeah it that's it's interesting cuz it seems like it's relative to what the you know cultural norms are for that specific area but i'm not sure if like the part where you grew up in texas because when you were talking about that i i think about like religious areas of of the country right like i've grown up like i grew up in california and then las vegas and pretty like liberal loose you know areas but then you know what's normal here if i went to like the south not so normal so do you notice that like just from city to city and you know even as you've grown older and traveled and and stuff like that yeah yeah for sure so where i grew up in texas it, it's west texas um so it's not austin um so everyone's like um when they hear from texas they're like oh austin um <laughs> austin's very loose right like the phrase oh, about yeah, austin yeah. is like keep austin weird um and so yeah and it's a big college town like a lot of like different mm -hmm. kinds of people living there big kind of melting pot of different ideas um, uh, Midland, where I'm from, is not like that. It's um, an oil town. It's very religious. Mm. Um, it's very segregated. Um, mm. uh, and yeah, I mean, I found it to be very culturally tight. Um, like it was it was very, um, yeah, I mean, it, the, like the expectation was that you are a Christian and that, um, you know, that like it was like being an immigrant required some explanation like it was, yeah. i mean people weren't like rude but it was just like what who are you what are you doing here kind of thing like yeah. um so yeah and i and like it's interesting because i thought that that was just like something i noticed because i'm russian um but later i remember i was living in la and i had this um jewish friend who was like i'm jewish so i can say this, I guess, but he was like, or he considered himself to be like visibly Jewish. Like, I don't know yeah. how else to say that. Like he, he would, that's how he would self-describe. Yeah. Um, and so, um, he always hated going to Texas because he mm. felt like people always would like ask him about his ethnicity or his faith or like kind of treat him a certain way where it was like the most like typical thing you know ever in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But you know, he, he like really didn't like that feeling of being in a state where yeah people like would identify him as Jewish and be like, 
why are you Jewish? Or like, well, you know, like ask him questions about it. He really didn't like that. Um, yeah. So it, it can still happen even if you're not like an immigrant or don't have a strange name or something like that. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I, I can somewhat relate to that because I, you know, what I have to like say it or nobody realizes it. I'm half black, but I look white as hell, right? So like, it's depending on where I am, like, it, like, cause my dad raised me, you know, my black dad and like, I'm a little white dude, right? And like, depending on where we were, there'd be strange looks or in other places where it's like more like, you know, there's interracial couples and, and things like that. You know what I mean? So it, it really depends on where you are and feeling weird, but that kind of transitions perfectly into what I wanted to talk about next is like, like when you're talking about going to an area where people are asking you things or perceiving you as different, one of your early chapters, uh, you talk about like the exclusion and the sting, right? So can you kind of explain, like you, you touch on it in the book, the evolutionary psychology behind this, how like it hurts and there's research around like when we feel excluded or not a part of, can you kind of explain like what's going on with us when we feel like an outcast? Yeah. So it's like, um, it's, it's obviously like very painful to feel like you're not included. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, sometimes people who are, um, adults or like not kids anymore, they kind of try to push past that feeling. Like they kind of say like, oh yeah, like it doesn't feel good to not be included, but like, it's not a big deal. I'm an adult. I have like my own friends in my own life. Mm -hmm. um, but actually there's like interesting studies suggesting that, um, that adults, even psychology researchers, even psychology researchers who um, know that they're being studied um, yeah. actually really, really don't like being excluded. Um, so hang on with me. I'm trying to pull up this exact, um, study because it, I want to be sure that I that I read it right. And uh, yes, okay. Um, so so um, this one group of researchers in Ohio um, did this experiment where they all um, would like single out one of them in their circle to like ostracize for a day so that and they so they would put like a little O for ostracize above their door for mm -hmm. that day. Maybe like, okay, you're the you're the guy we're like gonna ostracize today. So they all knew about it. They were totally in on the experiment and they yeah. like, so they were like, oh, we feel like nothing's gonna happen because we're like all adults here and we know that we're doing this. Um, but then like they kept like little journals and like their journals are just like very um sad. Like they're just like, um, uh uh no matter how much I know why they're ostracizing me, there's a part of me that wonders if it isn't something else. Yeah. Um, like, despite knowing the reasons behind it, um, you know, uh, we we questioned each other's motives, had difficulties carrying out our day to day duties, mm -hmm. felt disengaged. Um, they were like frustrated. Um, some of them started to like, like make weird jokes or just like try to get the other people's attention just like so they could have some yeah. like, kind of pod, like any kind of interaction. Um, so it can be really hard to um, feel like you're not connected to your colleagues or your friends or, or whoever else, um, even if like you're an adult and you're like past this. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was like a good demonstration of that. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I was just reading a book like uh, a lot of people know about uh, the cyberball study, right? Where like the two computer or the computer is like mm -hmm. passing the ball and then it stopped passing it to the person. And they like hooked them up to, I, I believe it was uh, brain scans. And even when they knew, even when they knew, when they said, hey, these computers are going to stop passing it to you they still, it still triggered that response of like, hey, I don't, I don't like this. And it's interesting. It's so interesting. Like one of the things I hate about being like a psychology nerd is that I 
I, I have this better understanding of human behavior, but it still bugs me. Like you were just mentioning, like with those psychological researchers, like they knew, they knew what was going on. They knew what was going on in the research, but like our, our, like the way we evolved is so strong. It's like, I don't care if you're self-aware of this, it's, it's still going to happen. So this is something I, I think about a lot, like through writing this book and all your research and all this, has it like dampened any of this at all for you? Like if, if your coworkers or someone doesn't get back to an email, or do you still go through all like those like rapid fire thoughts of like cognitive distortions and stuff? <laughs> oh man, that's a really good question. Like did writing this book fix me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish that it, you know, I definitely wish that like, oh yeah, like I learned all these tricks and now I'm completely better. Um, I would say like, I, I did get marginally better. Like I, I would say like learning some of this stuff and like, you know, reminding myself of it occasionally and mm -hmm. like, um, you know, especially when things, when I like really get into an anxiety spiral, if I'm like, okay, well, like you learned about this, like this is, you know, your black and white thinking right now or like yep, whatever, yep. um, like, you know, it can be really helpful, but like the problem is that like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of these responses are like so ingrained and like evolutionary, like you said, and, you know, it's sort of like, this is how, you know, our ancestors got, mm -hmm. you know, avoided like being eaten by the lions yeah. or whatever like it's it's hard to just like override that with a malcolm gladwell book or whatever like yeah, it's, yeah. you know like it's you can try and like you know you i do try and it's it's helpful to know the tricks but like it's it's not something that completely goes away I would say. here's a question i have for you uh with the stories you cover i've only recently got into your articles but i don't know if you've ever touched on like a hot button issue have you ever gotten like a bunch of anonymous strangers coming at you and that kind of you know, pushback has made you feel that kind of same way. And I'm asking because I, I have my own experience with that as a content creator online. And I'm curious if, if you've even seen that online. Yeah. So um, this used to really, actually, this is a really good example because it's something that I totally through habituation have like come to terms with. So I, I used to get really, really, really freaked out when I would get a lot of negative feedback, like, mm. especially the first few articles that I wrote, like years and years and years ago, I remember I wrote this one um, article about how expensive housing was in DC. And I this is just something like as a young journalist, I like didn't foresee really like I focus my article a lot on like these like really desirable areas of DC to live in for young mm -hmm. professionals like this mm -hmm. sort of like these trendy neighborhoods and like how people couldn't afford houses but I like I to the like detractors credit and did not did not write about like the areas of DC that were still affordable and mm -hmm. that like people like didn't want to live in because of like perceived uh mm. like high crime or whatever um and so um i so people did write in like it was it was for the washington post so it's like a really big yeah. outlet and um you know i got a ton of feedback and it was all really really mean because they thought you know they don't see me as like this young reporter who's just trying and like learning they yeah. see it as like the washington post says that like no one cares about this neighborhood <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, yeah, people were like a very, very mean. And I like, I, I think I like cried at my desk. Cause I was like, oh my God, like, I didn't mean to hurt their feelings. Yeah. And like, you know, people are like attacking me and like, um, and, and yeah, that really, I felt like such a bad journalist. And like, I just, I was like, I let these people down and like, I let my boss down and, um, I felt horrible. And, you know, I mean, part of it over time, like I just learned to be 
like a better reporter. Like, so I probably wouldn't make that same mistake again, like mm -hmm. kind of in my reporting. Um, but also you just get used. I mean, it sounds bad, but like people are always going to be mad. Like, right? like yeah. you know, there's always going to be someone who's like, I didn't like the way you wrote this, or I would have written it differently, or I would have included this or that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, okay. Like, please yeah. don't like call me something anti-Semitic because of that. But like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's fine. You know, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's something that, you know, I had to do. And, and you know, my situation, uh, you know, because I a couple of years ago, I was blowing up on YouTube, a bunch of people got mad at just thousands of strangers. But there's that self doubt. And like, you know, even like when you're writing or creating or whatever it is, start to doubt yourself. And like, am I dumb? Am I terrible? Am I in the wrong thing? They're like, you know what I mean? And all we could yeah. do is kind of, kind of learn and grow from it. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And do our thing. But, but yeah, we're never, you know, that's something I've learned too. We're never going to please everybody. But something I had to learn a long time ago, and I, I saw this every day when I was, you know, as a recovering addict working in a rehab for a few years, like I have to remember, it's not always about me, right? Like someone could be, be just have a terrible day, they read something the wrong way, and then they go off. You want to hear a funny story, Olga? Sure. This is for everybody. <laughs> I, back in my addiction days, I hated the weatherman here in Vegas. And I wrote him like a two page letter about how inaccurate his forecasting was. Right. <laughs> but a couple of years ago, if I found out he moved to Sacramento, uh, where my girlfriend's from, we were up there and I like wrote him a nice email. I'm like, you probably don't even remember me. He was telling me like, he's got like worse emails and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was just cause I was a bad day and I was, you know, not even in my right mind. So that that helps me with my creative. I, I try to be like, okay, this person might be, you know, struggling or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But um when it comes when it comes to being weird and different, something I, I had never heard about until your book was optimal distinctiveness theory. All right. So this is interesting. So it's it's kind of I'm paraphrasing here. It's like we want to be different, but also be accepted. Can you kind of explain that in a much better way than I just did? Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't you love how like sociologists and psychologists will come up with a term for everything? It's like yeah. eating lunch is like a midday meal. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just like, just say it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is just, this is like a pretty, um, uh, it's like an interesting little finding that shows that, that people tend to want to be like a little bit weird. Like people, mm -hmm. it's sort of like a U-shaped curve where people want to not be so different that like, like nobody gets it and like nobody like uh you know kind of kind of a whatever feel like they're part of the group but they also want to be innovative and not like everyone else so like where we mm -hmm. get the term like basic is because basically just like too many like white women decided that they like you know pumpkin spice yeah, pumpkin and, like, <laughs> and like fall which are just like nice things that a lot of people yeah. like but it's like oh well like now too many people have said they like this now that's basic you know yeah. um so you have to come up with like a new thing to like like whatever mocha lattes or you know just yeah. and it's it's like interesting that like we tend to want as people to be, you know, in line with everyone else, but then like a slight little twist on, yeah. you know, what's already popular. Like I like the normal thing, except like one little notch to the side. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's just like a interesting little observation about fashion and culture and such. <laughs> yeah. So, let, okay. We might, we might need to dive deep into this for a second because you might be the perfect person to talk to about this. I've been wondering about this forever, right? So, and we, we see this all the time where people want to be different, but they're so different that they become part of a 
a group, right? Like we saw this during the hipster area era, right? Where they were so different. So, and just like tried to do everything obscure, but, but you're clearly part of a very large group where you're going to be accepted. Like, did you come across any research that kind of discusses that where they try to go so far that they end up just joining a whole new group? Um, that's, yeah, that's like an interesting observation. That's like, unfortunately, like when I really tried to get into like, like what is weird and what is normal since like mm -hmm. so many weird people end up doing the same thing. Um, basically that's what like the conclusion that all the researchers come to also is that like people who try to be like rebels ultimately just end up finding other rebels to mm -hmm. be around. And then that becomes its own like little subculture that yeah. in, in many cases, like overtakes the, um, the like original culture right so like hipsters or indie music is like mm -hmm. a really good example of that like mm -hmm. indie music is some of the most popular music now yeah. like like, yeah. like vampire weekend is a is a hugely popular band <laughs> it yeah. is not indie like it is it is just a mainstream band that's in car commercials um and you know because i think like like uh people who liked that kind of music or who were rebelling against whatever the prevailing like rock at the time mm -hmm. was um, kind of like got together and they were like, well, we're not mainstream, we're indie. Uh, and, yeah. you know, ultimately that became more popular than being mainstream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that I have just thought about, like since I was a teenager, because here in Las Vegas, I actually, for the first time we were masked up, but I, I went to a show here in Vegas. I love concerts, right? And, and I've just always noticed, like, you know, I have friends who are just like, oh, I love this obscure band, right? And even like, people make dating decisions off this, right? Like, they're like, I love this obscure band. Then they meet someone who loves that obscure band. But I'm like, when you go to the concert and there's like hundreds of people there, it's clearly not that obscure if this many people like it. So it's not that weird to meet someone. You know, I know we want to find people who like our interests and stuff, but that's always just been really interesting to me because it becomes part of the norm eventually, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing will really disabuse you of the idea that you're cool, like going to a concert, because it's like, oh, yeah. like hundreds of other people just in my town have heard of this. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's it's weird because we're all dying for social connection. So it's like at at some at a certain point we kind of want that. Yeah. And it, it makes me it makes me think of uh you know this other kind of social phenomenon I see. So like uh one thing I love about your book, and we'll dive into a little bit of this, like just when you're feeling weird and like how you find support and stuff, but some people, it feels like they use weirdness as a tool almost to attract attention or I don't know, like, you know what I mean? Like, for example, when I went to a, a show the other night, sometimes it feels like there's a competition to see who can dress the weirdest, right? Or, you know, whether it's like, you know, haircut or hair dye or clothes or whatever. So had, have you come across anything where like the weirdness is like kind of an, a, an attention seeking type behavior because a lot of your book talks about weirdness makes you feel kind of isolated and not a part of but it seems like some people do that to kind of bring attention on themselves yeah um okay i i don't know about weirdness as attention seeking because i think what you're seeing is not weirdness it's a mm. culture it's like it's like the culture of, of vegas right like i think like 
Oh yeah. Um, what if it's just in my city and I'm just in a weird bubble? So, so, <laughs> yeah, so I will, I will tell you that like living in DC, people do not do that. Um, and instead the pressure is on being as normal as possible. Like, really? yes, it is. The pressure is to be as like, um, mainstream, like for DC as, as possible. Like it is, it is hmm. too like, I mean, I will tell you, okay, so for, for another thing, I'm, I'm taking improv classes. Um, nice. So, so I went to um, my first class last night and um, it's in DC and like the people there are, are just so nice and so lovely, just like DC professionals, just like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like so many of our skits devolved into like policy adjacent <laughs> or like jokes about politics or like like our big scene was about four seasons total landscape <laughs> and like like i think that's because like there's this sort of um like i mean i guess we did veer off into like one kind of unexpected tangent toward the end but it's like it's like um it's just like sort of a city that's sort of like people all come here to do politics and people are very mm-hmm. politics minded and so like and the nature of politics is to be like um, kind of mainstream. It's like a it's like a mainstream yeah. sort of like it's something that regresses toward the mean a lot. Um, and huh. I sort of saw that happening with the people in the improv. Where like even when we we're trying to be crazy, we're like I can't imagine something crazier than like a, yeah. you know, a Trump supporter. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, what about when you were living in? You said you mentioned you lived in LA for a little while. Like, mm-hmm. did you see a big like contrast, or was it kind of like? similar because west coast like you get towards the beach and stuff a little bit looser if you will yeah yeah so that was um that was interesting because uh yeah so it was was a very loose culture and i actually sometimes felt like i was a little bit lost because i Mm. um was used so i went to college in dc so like Mm. even even my college like even my like freewheeling college days like kids would wear like suits to class and stuff really (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but it's it's um yeah it was interesting uh in LA because I found that like so the DC question is like what do you do for work like that's like the first thing everyone asked and like yeah that's what they want to know about each other so in LA I remember I asked one woman I was like what are you working on and she said I am drawing I am painting pictures of my grandmother with short ribs um coming out of her eyes like lightning bolts <laughs> that's such and an I LA like, response I, I, love it. <laughs> I was like oh <laughs> like how much money does that bring in like I, yeah. I didn't ask that but I was like I guess she does not want to talk about like market labor she wants to talk about her creative pursuits um so that's like a good example of the cultural difference yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's really interesting one of my friends recently moved back to Vegas from Long Beach and that's a whole interesting area right over there um but but yeah so uh as I as I was mentioning like with your book you talk about you know that kind of loneliness right that we feel like when we're weird and uh something I I was talking to you about the other day was this social media piece, right? So like, is this, mm, is this a weird question? Are you, you're like in your twenties, right? I'm in my thirties. Okay. Me too. All right, cool. All right. So, so you, you kind of saw like the introduction of the internet and social media and all that. And I don't know about you, but it was extremely helpful for me to start 
finding more weird people like me into the same weird like I was building like I'm all over the place still as an adult but I was like building computers and playing video games and stuff like that and you know like the school I went to not everybody was into that so the internet was super helpful but um I sent you this New York Times piece from Jonathan Hyde and Gene Twangy and it's it's not just them but there's like this kind of like idea that internet's bad social media is bad for our kids and all that but as somebody who's like a mental health advocate and it helped me so much I see all the benefits of social media so like for those of us who feel weird like how do you kind of view the the internet like I see you on Twitter and stuff right so I don't think you're going to trash it too bad but you know like are there pros and cons balance that we need to find yeah, I mean, so I'll say that I'm not an expert on child development. So I like actually don't feel super equipped to like, I would basically just trust any research <laughs> development over me. Yeah. Um, I okay, I have a few thoughts on social media. So first, for me, I, I have really enjoyed Twitter. Like, I feel like most of my Twitter followers, like, are just like, kind of like light friends with me, like they're not, <laughs> you know, they're not like hardcore fans and they're not like, I mean, maybe some of them are fans, um, but they're also like not like detractors really. And so mm. like, mostly I'm just talking to like a group of people who like are kind of like, yeah, that's a good point. Or like, haha, me too. Like, yeah. um, so I have found it to be like a fun place to hang out. Um, but I know that that's not been the experience for a lot of reporters, mm -hmm. especially female reporters. Um, uh, and but a lot of the people that I talked to for the book, like they they did get a lot of good out of the internet. Like I talked to some people who were like some of the first people to ever do online dating. Yeah, yeah. And like they like people looked at them like they were just like freaks. They were like, why yeah. would you you go on the internet to find love? Like it's like yeah. you know in the nineties, um, and uh, and you know they were like, yeah, like this is what I'm gonna do. Like we have a connection, and um, you know, so but it's because they were like living in these remote kind of areas where there wasn't yeah. a lot of other people, and so they kind of had to branch out. So I think it can be like a force for finding community, especially if you find community with people who share your interests um i think for kids it's tough like at the same time i'm like very glad social media didn't exist when i was mm -hmm. in high school um i just don't think that like when you are really young that you have the like emotional maturity or the emotional regulation mm. to understand that like the number of people who like something on Instagram is not a good reflection of like your worth or like, yeah. <laughs> you know, the number of like people at a, you know, who RSVP to a Facebook event does not predict that person's yeah. like later happiness. Like it just, it's, you kind of, when you're a you know teen, I think you take things a little too personally and you kind mm -hmm. of don't, you don't have the frame of reference of knowing like, this is not real life. This is just like a small little slice of life. And yeah, so I don't know. I I didn't have social media when I was that age, and I don't have kids. Yeah, so. yeah no, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird. My my son's twelve, and his first yeah. year of middle school was in the pandemic, so they were doing it from home. But it's it's interesting because he's the opposite of me when I was a kid. I was super introverted, didn't want to talk, but he like introduce himself and talk to people and 
even with online school, he was just trying to, you know, it was sixth grade, middle, starting middle school, wanted to meet some new friends and stuff. And it was hard for him to find people with similar interests, even basic stuff, basic boys, you know, kid stuff like uh, Marvel and video games. You know what I mean? But, you know, I, I see he comes, he, he's able to come home and he has friends who he plays with certain games and stuff. So he's able to find, you know, people who are his type of weird and, you know, kind of connect and all that. But, you know, I try to teach him to branch out and not just stay in your little bubble. So, yeah, it, it's weird, but I, I think about how deathly afraid I am for the internet. Like, like, especially, especially because I was an awful kid at some time, at some points and the things that would have been like on my Twitter feed back in the day would, <laughs> would haunt me and you wouldn't be allowed to talk to me. Just nobody would, you know? So, so yeah, but I, I try to teach him about adapting to all this. And, and yeah, I, I, I love that part in the book about online dating. Cause I was, I was one of those guys. I was like, oh, cool. So I don't have to like go talk to a girl in person. I can just kind of, you know, do yeah. this. So, yeah. so it's been helpful for friendships and romantic relationships. Um, but one of, one of the other studies you talked about was uh, on rejection, making people perform better. And I have some questions about that. Can you kind of explain that study or research? What, what you found with that? Yeah. Hang on. I'm going to, um, I'm going to pull up that study just because I want to describe it really accurately and I don't want to like misstate anything. So I, I absolutely love how you have this stuff like in your mind and ready to go. I've interviewed a, a ton of authors, even some journalists, <laughs> and you you are just on it. I love it. I mean, I've talked about this a lot, um, <laughs> but um, okay. So this is, this is sort of, this study like is sort of like one of the like cruxes I don't know if you can have multiple cruxes of uh of my book um and it's basically this paper that found that um okay so this this researcher at Hopkins invited people in to um to do the series of exercises but before they started their exercises she kind of um like rejected some of these participants kind of um she told them like you're not chosen to work as part of the group so it wasn't mm. like too hardcore of an insult, but it was sort of like, oh, you're like over here, you know, you're not part of us. Um, so she just kind of wanted to make them feel like a little bit left out. Um, and so then they had to do like these like little word exercises, like kind of like what's um, what's like the similarity between like the words fish, mine and rush. And that's like gold, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so um, or like they were they had to draw like aliens from other planets like um, uh, so it turned out that the people who were told that they're not part of the group were actually better at both things. Mm. Um, so they um, they were better at the word association task, but they were also like their aliens were like more creative. Like they um, they they drew things that like looked actually like they could be from another planet instead of yeah. just like the little Martian. Yeah, man. the basic like. Yeah. Basic, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so like, so you kind of had this, uh, this like phenomenon where like, once you tell people like, you're not part of the group, they actually do better. Um, and they perform better. Um, and basically, researchers think that this is because um, <laughs> it's sort of like, uh, kind of like, okay, you you like, don't, you're kind of like not trying to please anybody, like you're mm -hmm. no longer trying to appeal to any kind of societal standard um and like the rules are kind of broken for you so you kind of like you decide okay well whatever i'm just gonna do whatever i want and yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna break the rules even further and sometimes that can mean that you 
um, you can do like even better than than mm -hmm. people who are like normal or or uh, mainstream. Yeah. 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 And I, I think the reason why like that that study stood out to me is because I'm always trying to just like decode myself and like pull out the good stuff and, you know, teach it to my son or, you know, I was running a mental health YouTube channel for a while and teach it to others and things like that. And it's something that I've I've noticed about myself is, you know, when when I feel, you know, rejected or whatever, I get like motivated, right? It doesn't like knock me down. Like, you know, I, I joke, well, half jokingly that one of the reasons I was able to stay sober were people who said I probably couldn't, you know, just things like that. I'm like, oh, I'll show you. Yeah. But yeah, kind of like what you're, ta you're talking about, like once those expectations are gone, it's like, all right, screw it. You know, now I could do this. I can have more freedom to, you know, so I'm curious if like through, you know, that study or anything else you've come across, like, how, you know, because that kind of conflicts with what we were talking about earlier, where there's this like kind of pain and, you know, it can make you feel anxious or depressed if you get rejected. So have you come across anything where like we can like harness that? Like, is there a, a trick, a tool we can use? Um, so I will say in that study, um, this was th that like um, advantage was seen among people who had uh, like an independent self-concept. So they already felt like mm. they didn't really belong. They were like really independent. They like kind of have a really strong sense of themselves already. Um, so, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, like, I don't know that there's like, but if you tell yourself this one yeah, thing, it'll definitely like work. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, like, maybe it's okay. Like if you're, if you don't have a lot of friends growing up or if you are kind of introverted to be like, Hey, you know, this is just me. I'm kind of introverted. I spend a lot of time building computers or like doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm comfortable with that. Like, you're not trying to change yourself. Maybe, you know, you're not, you're not trying to be someone you're not, but you have, you develop an independent self-concept and that mm -hmm. can kind of shield you from feeling like you're not part of the group uh, later on in life. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's hard to develop an independent self-concept. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah it's, 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 it's weird too, because, you know, like when I talk about like being socially anxious or introverted, like it's like this balance of like constantly caring what other people think while also not, yeah. you know? And it's, it's just like weird, like this, this tug of war, you know? But it, it makes sense. So I hope everybody listening, they, they pay attention and get your book and see all the other studies because yeah, like the other things you talk about that are, are beneficial. Um, like you dive into, you know, the, the benefits of therapy for those of us who, who feel weird. Can you talk, I know you share your personal experience and like, if you want to talk a little bit about that, but like, how does, how does that help talking with a therapist? Cause people are like, Oh, I could just figure this out on my own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so the therapy part really, um, helped me first with um my social anxiety um so i did it wasn't really therapy so i did like an app um it's called joyable and joyable mm, yeah. it doesn't like exist in its original form anymore so just if anyone like watches this it, <laughs> but you might not get the same joyable that i did basically yeah. um but um it, it essentially was like this little app that i did little exercises like mm. um you know like uh which, which is where it like taught me about like black and white thinking and other things yeah um, but it also came with this like little helper person who would call, call me yeah. <laughs> and be like, Hey, are you doing okay? Like, are you like having trouble? Are you, um, and so we would talk for like 15 minutes. Um, and my person was just like really great. Like she, she really listened. Uh, she like was calling at like very opportune times. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, she would always like, so I would tell her like whatever I was struggling with, like whatever the problem was. And she would kind of be like, yeah, well, it's not like you're really personalizing this. And like, you know, that like, it's not, you know, it's not something that you did. It's more just something that's the result of a situation. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe there's nothing that you could have done differently in this case. And like, (laughs) um, and that doesn't sound that profound, um, but it was, it was like very helpful. And I don't know, I, I think. To the extent, even if even if it's someone who's not, I mean, I'm not suggesting people go do unlicensed random stuff, but like, yeah, you know, she's not a licensed therapist, um, but yeah. she was still helpful to me. So yeah, there's 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 so many there's so many things that are just even if it's not therapy, it's therapeutic or or whatever. Like you know, because uh, especially just with our healthcare system and everything like that, like not everybody can go just get therapy, right? Yeah. But that's one of the reasons I fell in love with books. I'm like, there are people, there are these therapists, psychologists, just experts writing books or putting together apps because. I, I remember that was my favorite part of the book because when people discover like cognitive distortions, like, <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. My brain is kind of twisting situations. Like, because yeah. I used to be like that. Like somebody would like, wouldn't say hi to me and it would mess with me all day, you know, and just weird. And then I'm like, oh, oh, cognitive distortions, like black and white thinking or catastrophizing. And so for everybody who can't afford therapy, there are apps, there are workbooks, there are so many things. And you you talk a little bit about changing your personal narrative too. What's what's that? How 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 does that work or help yeah. even? So this is like um this is based on this kind of this body of evidence that suggests that like we're kind of always telling ourselves stories about how things are going. So like um Okay, let's say you were like um, bullied, like in school, and Mm -hmm. now you feel like your boss also sometimes is like too hard on you or something. You could kind of create a story that's like, oh my God, I suck. Like everyone in school thought I sucked, and now my boss thinks I suck too. And like, um, I'm, you know, this is just my life. Like, this is, this is how it's going to be. And like, I definitely have fallen prey into some of those <laughs> stories. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not trying to be like holier than thou, um, cause I'm definitely not. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's like another way to tell that story, which is just like, you know, yeah, I had a rough time in school because a lot of people have a rough time in school. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I learned how to persevere through that and not let, you know, haters get me down. Um, and now I have like, challenging conversations with my manager sometimes and I'm learning to navigate those and that's part of life and like all of those things are making me stronger and like that is still technically true but is like a better story and a more empowering story for yourself Mm -hmm. than the most negative possible interpretation of what's happening yeah um yeah (laughs) yeah a a few years ago I, I I came across uh rational emotive behavioral therapy and the guy who created it i think it's was it albert ellis but anyways he wrote a ton of books and a lot of it is like that and like rechange like changing our kind of our stories that we're telling ourselves like for example just with anxiety like this is the worst thing ever i'm gonna die it's like okay this is gonna be pretty bad but not killing me you know yeah. what i mean um but yeah i i only got one more question for you olga and this is what i'm curious about um let's say something happens, time machine pops up in your room, you go back, get to visit younger Olga who feels weird doing journalism competitions and stuff like that. From what you've learned writing this book and researching and all this stuff, like what would you, what would you say to a younger person who feels weird, even if it's younger you? 
Oh, wow. Um, yeah, didn't weren't ready for that, were you? That's no, I was not ready for that. Um, <laughs> man, um, I would just say, okay, I would tell younger me to read more. Mm, is why? that is that um, because I feel like I spent so much time um, being anxious, trying mm. to do things that would make other people like me, um, trying to like. I don't know. I like took a bunch of like stupid, like time wasty, like retail jobs because I like wanted to buy like nicer clothes. So kids would like me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like I could have just used that time. Like now I have kind of, like you said, like I have such a strong connection with other writers just like by reading them. Like I'm reading this really great book right now that is like, I, I like feel so identified with the author and like, I don't know. I just feel like if I had maybe, uh, branched out intellectually instead of trying to like, um, narrow mm -hmm. myself into the definition of what was good in like suburban Texas, where I didn't intend to stay for like a minute after I had to, um, I, like, yeah. I, you know, I like, I don't know why I was trying so hard to like make it there. You know, I, yeah. I could have just been like kind of doing things on my own terms. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. I didn't start reading <laughs> until my early thirties. Like I just gave up on books for a long time and, and no, I agree. Like just educating myself and learning and just, you know, all these things. And, and yeah. And like, like you were saying, like that, like what you're talking about, that's something that led to my like substance abuse issues was trying to fit in and do things mm -hmm. and be a part of and all these other things, you know, so I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> but yeah, Olga, just such a fantastic book. And it's so awesome that you wrote it. So can you let everybody know two things? Where can they get weird? And you're you're constantly writing and working and all over the place. So where can people find you to keep up with all the cool stuff you're doing? Yeah, totally. Um, you can buy Weird uh, wherever books are sold. So at your local bookstore or uh, like Amazon, the big website, uh, or <laughs> any other any other website you you'd like. Um, and it's available on Kindle, audiobook, uh, etc. Um, and um, my work is all at theatlantic.com. Um, and you should subscribe if you'd like to support uh, me and other journalists. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll link your social media down there and you'd share out the stuff you're doing. And sometimes you even ask like for help and feedback from other people and stuff. So I yeah. love it. But yeah, Olga, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we finally were able to link up and talk yeah. about your awesome book. This was very fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. So come back when you write your next book. All right. Okay. Okay. We'll do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, everybody, there you have it. That was my conversation with Olga Kazan about her book, Weird. And yeah, she's she's such a fun, awesome person. So I hope you all head down to the description, make sure you are following her over on Twitter, grab a copy of her book. And, and yeah, there's a lot. There's actually a lot in there about her journey, uh, you know, just, you know, learning about different therapeutic methods and all that kind of stuff, which really helped her out. And, and that's when I was like sitting there nodding along. I'm like, yeah, girl, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So make sure uh, you grab it, because I know a lot of you uh, are uh, longtime followers of The Rewired Soul, where we talk a lot about mental health and all that stuff. And a lot of it is from us just feeling weird and different. It took me a long time to kind of learn how to cope with that and how to, you know, just be comfortable in my own skin. So make sure you're following Olga. Make sure you grab a copy of the book. All right. And while you're down there, make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter 
at The Rewired Soul. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes and you're not yet, make sure you're following or subscribed to the podcast. Uh, leave a rating and review on Apple if you can. And if you thought this was a cool episode, make sure you share it on social media. All right. All that kind of stuff, uh, following, subscribing, sharing, all that really helps out the podcast. Just kind of grow and tells the algorithms like, hey, this is some good stuff and pushes it out to some new people who are interested in, you know, books and these conversations we're having and all that. All right. So I really appreciate you. And for anybody looking for ways to support the podcast, uh, there's some more links down below. You can get some of my books uh, that I've self-published over at TheRewiredSoul.com. Uh, I talk about mental health, my journey through you know addiction, depression, anxiety, and all that. And uh, there's another link for the Patreon. And there's also an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. So yeah. Therapy's dope. BetterHelp Online Therapy is a service I've personally used. So if you want convenient, affordable online therapy from the comfort of your own home, check out that link for uh, BetterHelp. All right. But anyways, thanks again to Olga. And make sure you grab a copy of her book. It's so, so good. All right. But anyways, I have some great episodes coming for you this week because there's, there's actually like three or four new books that are coming out this week. And I already recorded episodes with those authors. So make sure that you stay tuned. All right. But until then, have a wonderful rest of your day. And I'll see you next time.